On today's episode, I had on Dan Gadisi, who is a physiotherapist and strength and conditioning coach working out of Melbourne strength culture. We talked today about certain things such as passive versus active treatments. So passive treatments are your massages, dry needling, stretching, stuff like that. And your active treatments are your more rehab and reconditioning stuff and why you should be doing more active than passive treatments. We talked about the misconceptions of resting after an injury and why you should get to doing things and not just resting. We talked about the big gap difference between when you are done with rehab and when you are a full go in games for athletes. So if you get injured, you go through and you're, you're quote unquote done with rehab, but you're not really ready for games yet. There's a big gap in between there that needs to be addressed. So we talked about that. We talked about the two professions, strength and conditioning and physio, how they can work together really well. Or if you have someone like Dan, who is both of those, how he can kind of treat along the continuum of those. And then we looked at any different tests he did uh, on his athletes before and after um, just kind of the season to uh, address any performance or injury stuff. So this episode is a great listen for any athletes, any sports performance or sports medicine professionals out there. So here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, coaches, parents of athletes, or any active person looking to improve their fitness or athletic ability. So please, have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I am Patrick Wood, your host, and today I have on Dan Gadisi, who is a physio and strength and conditioning coach down um, in Melbourne area. Um, so today what we're going to talk about is just kind of athletic returning to sport. We're going to talk about the importance of certain things with passive active treatments, and then you just get into a couple other topics. But if first, appreciate you being on, Dan, first off. And if you just want to talk, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you got into physio and strength and conditioning, your current position, and kind of how um, that just came about. Yep. Hey, thanks for having me on, Pat. It's, it's good to be here. Um, so I suppose I got into physio. I, I always wanted to work with athletes in a rehabilitation setting, um, probably stemming from my own personal experiences as an athlete myself and having injuries. Nobody likes those. So if you can find a way to get around them and get over them. Uh, that's a great thing. Um, so my journey briefly through university towards uh, becoming a qualified physiotherapist, I identified pretty early on that courses lacked a lot of uh, practical exercise prescription um, and understanding of how to do all the coaching side of things. So I actually started off with a certificate three and four in personal training. Um, and then eventually went on to do my level one ASCA strength and conditioning and did some private coaching to supplement the academic stuff that I was taught through university. Um, and then eventually went on to complete my physiotherapy degree and have endeavored to blend the two ever since. Yeah. And then what are your current positions kind of right now or just your past experience with positions that you've had? Yeah. So currently I... Uh, run my own business out of Melbourne Strength Culture down in Melbourne. Um, so I started up my own physiotherapy clinic, which I'm working on building. Uh, prior to that, I was working at uh, Sandringham Sports Physio and also with their VFL team, the Sandringham Zebras in a Aussie Rules footy. Um, and then prior to that, wasn't really anything physiotherapy related. That was going through university. Um, so I just had a whole bunch of different jobs 
a lot of um, swimming teaching actually. So I picked up a lot of coaching skills from that. And like I said, sort of alongside things, private uh, personal training and strength and conditioning stuff for different athletes who needed different different programs for different things. Nice. Yeah, I can relate. I had some swimming uh, swimming coaching back in the day as well. Nice. Um, but so I guess the first thing we kind of talk about here is you kind of mentioned the coaching and more of the active side of the strength and conditioning side that you really enjoy. And so if we kind of first maybe start off with just talking about the reconditioning of athletes, we have more of a passive and more of an active type of treatment. So if we could first maybe define those, um, your definitions of those, kind of what are they with some examples, and then your thoughts on each and how you like to approach those one or the other. Yeah. So I suppose uh, to me, active um, therapy or treatment is uh, something that the athlete can do themselves for themselves um, and generally involves movement um or exercise or something like that uh that has a specific purpose or uh outcome that you're sort of looking to achieve with that um compared to passive i would say that locus of control is more external to the athlete um but also also can be within the athlete's control but it's not as much a movement based thing it's more Oh, it's, it is a tricky one to define, I reckon. Maybe if I list some examples, that might help. Um, yep. so, so to me, active can be exercise, stretches, movements, sporting-related things, but also to me as well, I feel you can't neglect the importance of things like basic recovery, things like sleep, rest, um, nutrition, uh, good uh, I suppose, social and psychological mental health uh, practices. To me, that's all of like an important active sort of thing, even though you might see some of them as, as passive. But to me, passive things are more like your traditional hands-on therapies. So whether that's massage, mobilizations, manipulations, needling, cupping, heat packs, cold packs, and then even things that uh, sort of mimic that stuff uh, that the athlete can do themselves like uh, foam rolling and stuff like that to me that's a bit more passive yeah and then if you want to kind of go into your thoughts on each when you use each or do you prefer one over the other um, as I know kind of in the US at least from my experience it's a lot of more be- there is kind of the more passive sides, a lot modality based, whereas over here in Australia, it's more the manual therapy based and but both seem to be progressing towards that more exercise prescription if um, if you want to go into your thoughts on that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely a lot more biased towards yeah the active stuff and away from hands-on and electrotherapies and stuff like that. So that's probably something I didn't mention that to me is also passive. So like you've got like TENS machines, infra, inferential machines, laser, um, all kinds of other weird uh, ultrasound, other gadgets and stuff like that, technologies that claim to do outrageous things but the research just doesn't support any of it to be to be frank um i'm definitely a a, the way i tend to look at everything is what gives the athlete the most bang for their buck what's going to give them the most for the time that they invest in the the treatment or the therapy that that i choose and select for them and nine times out of ten that's going to be exercise or some of those other recovery practices like i touched on so like sleep nutrition and good uh, mental health practices 
Um, mm-hmm. To me, all the hands-on stuff, um, whether it's massage, cupping, um, mobilizations, manipulations, and stuff like that, there's some evidence there for it to be effective short-term when it comes to pain relief. But then long-term, they don't really seem to add any additional benefits, whereas the evidence for more active exercise-based interventions, there's plenty of evidence for both their short-term efficacy in terms of also being able to have an amazing pain-reducing effect, um, if that's what an outcome you're looking for. But also, it comes with all the long-term benefits of them as well that we know from um, sport and exercise science. Um, It will improve an athlete down the track, and it's a... A, a gift, I suppose, that keeps on giving. So I'm definitely heavily biased towards that, and I'd rather athletes engage in active stuff than spend time doing passive things that probably doesn't add much more than just rest or nutrition or mental health um, good practice. I 100% agree on that, um, just from all of the stuff we've been learning in school and just from past experiences as well. But I do feel like a lot of times, whether even general population, but athletes as well, you know, they're coming in and they think you can, you're magic and you can fix them in two seconds and manual therapy or massage is what makes them feel better. How do you kind of change their perspective and say, look, yeah, like as you're saying, it might help you right now, but really what's going to get you the most bang for your buck or what's really going to make you better in the long run is that more um, exercise prescription type active therapy like how do you convince them or persuade them to kind of go that way that's that's a really great question and it's a tough one to answer because it does come down to sort of the individual you really need to sort of pry in and, and understand their beliefs and rationale behind why they're requesting um thinking that hands-on is going to be the solution to their problem and quite often it stems from previous beliefs and experiences that they've had Um, so I just try and open up that discussion a little bit with them I I try to investigate a little bit first so ask them you know why do you feel that hands-on and uh, whatever it is that they're requesting um, will, will that be the solution to your your problem what like what do you what do you want to achieve and what do you think is going to help you achieve that and once you can sort of understand where they're coming from then it's a bit easier to start educating them on well this is why i think exercises and a more active approach is going to be a much better solution and arguably a quicker solution for them as well uh, a way i like to sort of explain it too to help with buy-in is most people want hands-on or those passive sort of Uh, modality type treatments for a specific effect and that specific effect is generally either pain relief improving mobility or improving function in some way and it's quite easy to make the argument well if that's the outcome you're looking for with a, a, a passive treatment and that requires my skills and expertise so it means once you're away from here there's nothing else you can do to help yourself well how about I give you some active intervention, so exercise or something like that, that achieves the same same outcome, whether it's pain relief, mobility, or improved function. But now you've got the power to use that whenever you want and for as long as you want. And it's something you can repeat throughout the day. It doesn't require you to come back to me um, to have that same effect. Once they start to get their head around that idea that, hey, that is possible, and I 
I can have this tool up my sleeve now that I can use. It's rather empowering for the athlete. They seem to buy in quite quickly and easily. It's just people who are more familiar with a very passive hands-on sort of approach. They're a bit um, hesitant and skeptical at first because it, it, it can be quite a radical change from them compared to what they're useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good point of, uh, not only does the evidence show that's probably the active is better, but it's just making them self-sufficient athletes, which is kind of a lot of the goal. I feel like of the time is empowering them to be able to do their own rehab and to get them better and show them that they have, um, as much or even more responsibility than you do in this whole situation. So if someone has, Here's another misconception people might have a lot. If they have a misconception, they're injured, so they need to not they need to rest and get better. So they don't do anything. And especially for athletes, this is kind of what I want to hone in on more. What do you say to the athlete that comes in, "Oh, I'm injured. I need to let this heal. I don't do anything. I just ju or I just do rehab on this one little spot." You know, like what yeah. athletes are need are going to need to be reconditioned and held at the highest physical ability to go back to sport as much as possible so how do you explain that to the athlete or your experiences on any of that yeah that's a great question as well i actually find this um really exciting and fascinating to explain to athletes because there's some some bloody interesting research that has been published that uh, and this is what i tell the athletes as well i'm like um you can just rest um and you will probably get better but we know from all the evidence that we've that's been covered that if you actually uh, say actively rest or do something about it, it actually stimulates um, that tissue that does need to heal or whatever recovery does need to occur. It, uh, it stimulates it in a way that actually it makes it recover both faster and also better. Um, a way I sort of like to describe that is say it is an acute injury, like a, uh, a ligament uh, sprain or a muscle strain or something like that, where you've done physical damage to the, the tissue. So how I sort of like to explain that to the athlete um, yeah. without diving into the science behind it is I give them this analogy of it. You're recovering and repairing tissue. It's like it needs to build a house again. And if you just rest, all the workers will come in, they'll bring in all the bits of uh, equipment and stuff, and they'll just dump it down in a bit of a pile. And eventually it's going to form some kind of shape or lump or something like that, but it's it's not going to be as good of a house as you want it to be. However, if you do some exercises um, and put a bit of load through that area that's um, done in a very specific way that's appropriate for the tissue, so we're not loading it too hard, that's like getting a site director in that tells them, all right, well, this bit of uh, building material needs to go here and this needs to go there and this needs to look like this and this needs to sh uh, form this shape etc so it actually helps realign the tissue and organize it in a way that means it will be tougher and stronger to resist the forces it needs to later on down the track when you're returning to sport but also by having that added bit of direction it, it actually accelerates the whole process it seems to give everything a bit more direction that makes um, everything occur faster so if you look at some of the research that explains well how does that happen um, I think it was done in uh, mice tissue because it's probably a bit unethical to do it in, in humans to begin with, but they basically induce a muscle strain in these mice and then they look at, well, what happens if these mice just rest completely like we traditionally have done 
versus uh, allow them to sort of like freely do exercise and, you know, run on their hamster wheel and whatnot. They found that the ones that did exercise through their injuries, they actually recovered in half the time and the recovery uh, was actually more successful than those who just rested. Successful meaning less scar tissue and more tissue uh, strength and I suppose function as, as well, function meaning um, force output of the muscle. Um, and that applies in humans too. I, I can't remember the specific studies that looked at it in, in people, but certainly we've seen with like ankle sprains, um, uh, muscle strains and stuff like that. If you start exercising uh, and loading that tissue as soon as you reasonably can, you definitely have far superior outcomes and are less likely to have recurrences in the future. Um, it's, it's a no brainer to take an active approach once athletes sort of understand all of that. Yeah. And that's all good points. So if another thing, uh, question is, yes, you do the active treatment on the injury. Do you do anything specifically, or do you preach specifically of tr making sure, um, that I guess you train around the injury. So just because you are injured doesn't mean you st can't still train, you know, if that yeah. makes sense. A hundred percent. Um, and it's, it's really good to work with coaches with all of this as well. Certainly, it, there seems to be like a personality type as well with different athletes. Like some, if they're injured, it's like their world just comes to a crashing halt. Um, and they're the ones that definitely need more assistance to uh, be encouraged to say, hey, just because you've injured this limb or that limb or your spine or whatever it might be, there's always going to be a way that you can train around that because we want to minimize any deconditioning as best as we can, because we know fitness is much, much, much easier to maintain than it is to improve and build upon it. So why not, you know, try and like stay starting at the, the start line, so to speak, rather than uh, rest and move yourself further and further away from where you were previously. Um, whereas there's some other more extreme personalities, I suppose, where, they're sort of the opposite. They're like, Hey, I'm injured. I'm just going to train through this like crazy and just push, push, push. And that type sort of needs to almost be held back in it in a sense. Um, but they're the sort of the two extremes. Most of them are sort of in that middle ground and the middle ground seems to be that they do need to be encouraged. Hey, we, we can find a way to, to train around this, this injury. You can almost, I try and almost frame it in a, in a sense that this is an opportunity here. You might've injured your leg, but, while you know we can't do our normal running or activities on our legs let's put a bit more of that effort into our upper body and see if we can you know make some actual some ground here and even get uh, get out of this rehab better than we were going in from an upper body perspective while we're getting the legs to catch up or vice versa once you sort of frame it that way it gives them another nice little like goal and objective to to hunt towards which most athletes uh, seem to like to go for given that it's what most of the reasons they're in their sports, they've got like a, a goal that they want to achieve. Um, so then they're, they're doing something to help themselves out. That's away from the injury while also working on the injury. I found that works mm -hmm. pretty well. It's almost uh, just literally still doing training technically, but just working around the injury and while also working on the injury, but you're still training. So it's not, I guess when a lot of people think of rehab, they don't think of reconditioning as much of I'm just, sprain my ankle all i'm doing is ankle stuff instead of i'm still doing upper body as you said to try and get stronger up there and as much as i can on the legs that isn't going to cause the ankle to get worse while focusing on the ankle still 100 percent like a great example might be like a um 
I know, like a thrower. Well, it really doesn't matter what sport, for example, but um, even soccer, um, mm. just because they've got a lower limb injury, there's plenty of benefit to um, building up their, their upper body um, yep. on, on to have that field sort of present. So, mm-hmm. def- definitely. And then, and then a lot of the time, I guess, here's another thing we can talk about. With, there is a massive gap between that uh, kind of rehabbed, like the physio just says, all right, you're rehabbed, you can go back to sport. But what does back to sport mean? When a lot of times an athletes hear that, it's I can go play a game, full go, 100%. So I guess you kind of want to talk about your experience with that gap of, okay, yes, their injury may look as if, you know, the strength is back and the range of motion is back. Um, they're, they're jogging decent now without pain, but they're not in a game setting going full go. So maybe kind of talk yeah. about um, your viewpoint on that and then yeah. kind of experiences with it. Yeah, definitely. And, sorry, uh, you you actually have another uh, – this is another reason why I asked this question because you have the, uh, the both sides of it. So that's kind of a unique perspective where a lot of people are a strength coach or a physio, but you're both of them so you can kind of see the whole continuum. Yeah, that's no, that's a fantastic question. I was, I was going to say I'll have to put my S&C cap on for this one. <laughs> Um, and this is where I think this is, this is why I love S and C. They're absolutely brilliant at preparing athletes for, um, I, I'm not sure where I picked up this concept, but basically like, I like to think of S and C as we need to prepare the athlete for the worst case scenario that they're going to encounter in their sport. Um, and possibly then a little bit extra. Um, and that's what I try and think about throughout the whole rehab continuum and that's what i see a lot of physios tend to tend to miss because it's just it's realistically it's just not part of our skill set that we're taught throughout our university degrees and we're not really exposed to it particularly not at the the high level that we probably need to um and in the depth that we need to as well so to me when like traditionally when an athlete finishes rehab so to speak it tends to mean from a clinical setting that they've um, past all of their basic clinical testing, uh, like you said, whether that's, uh, they're, you know, they're pretty much out of pain. They've got the mobility back. They can start, uh, training things and putting like some significant load through things or some more speed or what, whatever property of fitness, um, it might be. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're anywhere near ready to go back to the high level of competition that they were in previously um and that's at any level it doesn't have to be elite athletes it can even be um, recreational athletes going back to social sport it's the same thing um because we know with sports uh most times uh particularly field-based sports it's a very bursty type activity where you can have periods of just craziness and mayhem um, that can seemingly come out of the blue depending on the circumstances and who you're facing and what's going on etc and they're, they're the times where athletes will come uh, undone if they've only just finished rehab. To, to me, finishing rehab is pushing them all the way through until the SNC is happy that, yes, they're ready for that sort of worst-case scenario. But then I suppose the one little caveat to that is when it comes to more elite sort of settings, then you're sort of weighing up that risk versus reward of, well, is it worth having this player at 80% of that because of the value that they can give to the team and the sport and their output and whatnot versus the risk of them uh, injuring something and something happening again? Can we sort of roll the dice on that one or make them 
play at a little bit less of an intensity that um, will still benefit the team and whatnot, but not risk the athlete. So that's sort of my take, I suppose, in a nutshell on uh, return to sport, I suppose, or return to performance. Um, And my experience with it, I suppose, it it sort of mirrors what I sort of uh, described, I suppose, where quite often physios will assess the athlete and yes, they're out of pain. They can start doing their sport again, but they haven't really fitness tested them. And that's where I think SNCs uh, do a fantastic job is they'll, they'll put them through the ringer to sort of understand, Hey, can you, you know, can you perform at this level while under physical duress and also with the mental decisions you need to make to play the game um, and the pressure and the stresses of that game sort of element and react to things um, and, do all of that at a level that does prepare you for that worst case scenario. Um, I think that's something that physios aren't very good at. Um, and then in terms of blending the two together, it definitely helps if you can work closely alongside their, their coach or their SNC and make sure they are going all the way through that, that continuum. So once they have passed all the clinical tests, you know, you can really put the foot down in terms of, all right, well, let's make sure we're pushing their fitness bringing all these parameters of speed, agility, power, strength, endurance, whatever it may be, um, back up at the level that they need to be to perform well when they uh, do actually make their, de- their debut back onto the um, onto the field. Does that mm, sort of couple, um, answer the question? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I just got a couple more sub sub questions off yep. that actually. So you have an athlete that does come towards or come to you. From a physio, if you're kind of looking more towards the strength and conditioning side of it, an athlete comes to you, they say, I'm done with rehab. They said I can go back to play, and they're thinking they can go full go. How do you explain that to them or to, to like, like as you said, kind of explain that to them in terms of showing them, yes, you're rehabbed, quote unquote, but like there's so much more. There's dual tasking and like mm-hmm. all these other chaotic, chaotic things that go on in sport. That's, that's a really great question. Um, I suppose, once again, I sort of like, to try to question athletes in a way that makes them sort of come around to the the decision themselves. So I might not just hit them with facts or anything straight away, but I might might ask them like you know. Um, so the uh, so the physios told you that you know you've you finished rehab. Um, like, how ready do you think you are to return to sport? How fit do you think you are compared to before this injury? Do you have any concerns or, or doubts or do you think you need to, you know, bring your fitness up a bit more back to the level that it was or sort of explore those questions with them if you've got the luxury of time to do so. And quite often the athlete will eventually sort of think it over in their head and come around to, yeah, I'm probably not as fit as I was before. I've only just got out of pain or I've only just been able to do this, whatnot. If, and then you can sort of ask them, what do you think if you have this scenario um, in sport, you have to sprint and do repeated efforts and, you know, tackling and all kinds of stuff or whatnot. Like wh- where do you think you're at right now to be able to handle that? And eventually they generally come around to that. Nah, yeah, you're right. We probably need to do a bit more work before I'm at that sort of level. But then once again, it is a bit of a spectrum. So you will have people who are like, I'm pain free now. Let's, let's go put me in, plug me in coach. Mm. Um, they definitely need, um, to be reined back a bit more. And I've found generally the best way is to, to literally just show them. Um, so start taking them through a bit of a fitness test um, and also highlight that, hey, 
um, and this is sort of a, a physio SNC approach I sort of like to use, I suppose is I ideally want to leave athletes better than they were uh, prior to the injury. My argument sort of being that, hey, before you, you obviously weren't fit enough or good enough, whatever that might be to prevent that injury. We don't want to get you back to that same level that got you injured in the first place. We want you better than that. So you're less likely to have that issue in future. So it's quite like nothing can hide once you, you put them through a fitness test. It's very easy to show people where their sort of their limits are at and where their fitness is at. Um, and then the buy-in's quite easy. Um, and then if you go to the other extreme, some athletes would just be like, yeah, my physio said I'm, I'm cleared to play, but I'm just not feeling confident or ready to go. And that, that's yeah. quite easy to work with as well. Yeah. And I think that this is my, in some of my experiences, it's kind of, it's more of the acute setting as in someone just sprained an ankle, but when they're coming in and sprained their ankle, oh, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. And then you'd be like, really? Then can you have them walk on it and they can't even take three steps, you know? I've seen the same thing with um, like a hamstring strain. So uh, when I was covering the, the boys on the footy field, they'd seen one sort of ping their hamstring, they come off and they're like, no, I'll be okay. I'll just, I'll just sort of like walk it off, be able to go back on. Um, and then they can sort of like jog and trot around. They're like, yeah, look, I'm good to go. I'm like, all right, well, let's accelerate a little bit faster and run a little bit faster. And then you can see that they just, they simply just can't. Yeah. And then they know. Yeah. So going back to kind of what you were comparing before the SNC and, um, physio. So there is, the, there's kind of that gray area we talked about with that. Where does kind of which profession have, you know, what roots? And I know you guys, I guess, kind of more set the line. But did you say, so if you're talking to an athlete, kind of the importance of educating them on that as you have both sides of it, of making sure if it's at a, at a smaller level that they're probably not communicating as much or um, at, sorry, a lower level. So making sure the athlete has them communicating so they can kind of work through that together. Whereas the pro level, they're most likely going to be kind of working together in that multidisciplinary team already. Um, but can I maybe go over the importance of that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's, it's at, at all different levels of sport at all. They all have sort of their own unique challenges, I suppose. Um, so what I've seen at a, a grassroots sort of level. So like uh, kids, junior athlete development up to sort of semi-elite level is there's a big, big disconnect between communication from the uh, the treating therapist, physio or, or whatever else it might be, um, and their, the athletes, coaches or SNC, if they're lucky enough to have an SNC, SNC coach. Um, so quite often, I suppose, from the sort of the physio end, you might see that, yep, athletes pass all the clinical tests, they're ready to sort of go back to sport, so to speak, um, handball them off to the, the coaches and whatnot, but you haven't necessarily given an appropriate handover for that coach in terms of what's been going on, what you've been working on and what sort of the ultimate goals are for them. And sort of vice versa as well, like the SNC coach will get an athlete and they'll be like, what on earth have you been doing with the physio? I'm, I'm not sure where you've come from, what you've done, what we still need to sort of work on when the athlete may have the mentality of, yep, no, I don't need to work on anything. I'm good to go back. Mm. Um, so that's what I see sort of at the, the more grassroots, uh, semi-elite sort of level. And then when it comes to sort of the elite level, it um, I find it sort of, it largely depends on the structure of the actual elite level team. So it depends how they've set up their whole medical and SNC sort of uh, pathway and structure. Some, it may be a bit more 
discreet in a sense that not you're in rehab like it's all led by physios the snc sort of has their hands out of the out of the pie so to speak and then there's a, a real clear sort of cutoff where not nah, you've graduated you go to snc now whereas others there can be more of a, a blended sort of model um and it, in in my opinion i would like to think that the best possible pathway for an athlete regardless of the level they're at is some kind of blended model mm -hmm. um i've i've found it works really well if you can as a physio or an snc either way it's a two-way street if you can communicate with each other and leverage each other's skill sets you're going to get the athlete a much better result the the physio should be the expert when it comes to understanding the injury the ins and outs of that meaning like the risk factors, the causes, um, the deficits that you assess them with and whatnot. So they're all key big things that you, you need to address. The SNC is by far the expert when it comes to developing all those properties that they need to get back to the field, whether it's their overall, just minimizing deconditioning, keeping their fitness level up, or whether it's, hey, they've done a hamstring sprain, uh, strain, sorry, we need to bring their hamstring strength up I would say S and Cs are better at developing those physical attributes of strength um, than most physiotherapists are. So you can leverage both those skill sets if you communicate well, such that the physio might sort of lead in terms of the rehab side of things, saying, "Hey, it's a if we just go with a actually maybe ankle sprain because that's a little bit more complicated than hamstrings, arguably in some circumstances. Um, ankle sprain, all right, they need." mobility, they need strength through their plantar flexors, they need good um, stability and balance and whatnot. They can sort of like set up all this criteria and stuff of these are the problems we need to solve. How are we going to get the athlete to solve those problems? Certainly the physio can suggest different exercises and, and ways to go about it. But I think if you work closely with an SNC, um, particularly if the SNC is working closely with the athlete, then you're going to get a much better rate of progression because the SNC will they tend to be sort of spend more time with the athlete um they can say hey look that's that's better all right let's do more reps or let's let's make the exercise a little bit harder let's add load now rather than leaving the athlete to do that by themselves even if the physio gives them guidelines for progression and then that way that continues all the way through to return to sport and performance in the sense that once the athlete has completed all their clinical testing and it's all sort of good to go in that standard sense, but we know they're still probably miles away from being ready from a, a worst case scenario. The physio can still provide useful input saying, well, here's the probably the likely cause of why this has happened. And here are the key deficits that we found that they struggled with and had trouble uh, during their actual rehab. I think it's really important to elements of that rather than going into a more of a, a general fitness um, uh, preparing sort of block we still keep in some elements addressing those those deficits and whatnot, really bring them right up, make make those former weak points a strong point, so to speak. And the SNC can can lead the way with that. But they've got the they can leverage the knowledge of the, the physiotherapist of well, here's some key rehab related things that we need to con continue with in some shape or form. So, mm, so yeah, both both roles are super important, you're saying, and then communication is just the biggest thing between the two. And then the difference is at the levels is if you're at the kind of sub elite level, it might be more on you to make sure that they're communicating. Whereas as the pro level, it's based upon the model and you're pushing kind of more towards that, making sure the communication between the two to get the best, best out of the athlete. Definitely, definitely. 
so then we'll kind of go back to you mentioned them briefly before the kind of the, the testing the strength and conditioning does the testing part really well um so is there anything i guess so this would be kind of a testing part uh, maybe the physio might even do or a strength coach uh do you look at anything specifically for the athletes when they come to you to try and determine if there is um, any potential risk for injury so any risk reduction type either observations or tests you do um for athletes yeah absolutely it um it all depends on the injury um so when i try to to test and investigate are there any deficits or uh, remaining like risk factors for injury. I try to combine uh, a plethora of different things. So like what all of the research has sort of found or even suggested that may be a risk factor for, for athletes. So that's like one big checklist that I'll sort of go through. Um, and then I try to personalize it as well to the, uh, the athlete, the individual themselves. So trying to understand, well, what's the history of their body? Um, uh, I suppose this is a little bit of an S and C type thing almost in terms of like training age. Like I'll think, mm. well, what, what sports have they done growing up? What's their, their history with all of that? How, how long have they been doing their, their current sport or activity? Um, what previous injuries have they had? How have they had those injuries? Like really specific. Like if it's, if it's a hamstring strain, like was it from just straight line sprinting? Was there a change of direction in there that pinged the hamstring? Was it, they decided to, um, like bend down and pick up a ball or something like that, or like try to be as specific as possible because that is a different sort of tissue load that you need to think about and consider. And also a completely different form of um, biomechanics. Once you can sort of try and piece all of that together, so understand, right, well, they've had multiple injuries before on their left side and now they've had another left-sided injury and it's all up and down the kinetic chain, they're really new to the sport or they've had a long time in the sport or they haven't done many other sports or other cross conditioning or exposures to other things. I try to piece all of that together and, and think as well that, yeah, like I said, the research has shown for this injury, we may need to look above and below and some core stuff and some of this and there's some weak evidence to suggest that maybe this and maybe that. I, I try as best as I can with the time I've got to go through the the biggest bang for your buck things first so the real obvious stuff um and then sort of branch out from there and try to help um communicate that with the snc to ultimately give the athlete the best outcome mm. and then for your kind of more i guess on that strength conditioning side maybe more for performance or just in case an injury does happen do you have any pre-testing things you do for your athletes um kind of just like more of your I know it's probably really dependent on the sport as well, but any ones that you can see kind of go over a, more of a plethora of sports? Yeah, I, I suppose. Um, so you're meaning sort of like uh, like a, a pre-screening type thing, like if they're going into a sporting yeah. season or something? Yeah, so like kind of before um, a sporting season or when they start to train with you kind of from the yeah. S&C standpoint, what do you look at? Again, I know it's really kind of dependent yeah. on what your goals are and the sport, but like do you have a, like a general one that you seem to work well? I know like the – or anything like that yeah definitely i think um something that's really important is just understanding their their past injury injury history um and their past sporting um history just to get an idea of what sort of background they're coming from jumping into the into the sport that they're doing um and then from there i sort of customize it a little bit so if they've had some significant pre previous injuries i'll try and just touch on 
Well, does that is that joint functioning the way that it should? Is that mus muscle functioning the way that it should? And that's sort of my, I suppose you could sort of say like my general screen. And I'd like you said, I'd build something specific to the sport, which you can just refine as the seasons roll on. Um, so like testing an AFL athlete, uh, Aussie rules football, it's going to be very different to a, a basketball or a soccer athlete or a track and field or something like that. But I think a good general start is, yeah, look at <clears throat> previous history, whether it's uh, injuries and sport. And then from there, you can start to go into more general uh, specific stuff, I suppose, for the, for the sport. So for a, I don't know, field-based athlete, it may be some basic sort of tests of <clears throat> endurance or agility or some skills or something like that. Um, and just sort of build the layers upon that way. <clears throat> or if it's like a, a track and field athlete, if it's shorter, more explosive, you might do some more, <clears throat> I don't know, power-based tests or strength-based tests or something like that that's a bit more relevant to their their sport but I'll, I'll try to once again i sort of I, I generally the way i think is i like to sort of <clears throat> start from the finish so i sort of think what's what's the worst case scenario that i need to be exposed to what are the important qualities for that and then try and dilute that into a a, a relatively time efficient battery of tests that are going to test each of those qualities in some capacity in a way that's uh, relatively reliable and reproducible um, and, and build from there yeah. And so you have, like I said, the combination of SNC and physio. So we've highlighted a lot of different things, but do you have anything specifically that you think that's really important with both of your sides of kind of the spectrum that you do throughout um, the progression of an injured athlete from that acute onset of injury right away, all the way to full going games. Like, like I said, maybe anything that you think is specifically really important that is not always done having both of these, if, if we haven't covered yeah. that yet. Yeah, no, that's a brilliant question. I think the number one thing, um, is just understanding, um, progression and progressive overload. Um, that's specific to the goal that you want to achieve. So the principles of um, overload and specificity, I think that's something that is is missed a lot um, from physios. Um, SNCs definitely do it better, but not the level of specificity needed from a like a, a rehab point of view. So if you can nail that in terms of understanding that, all right, it's this injury, they need to build strength, prescribe them stuff, that will give a strength stimulus and make sure that the athlete knows or is guided so that they're always uh, progressing it and overloading it such that it is always driving a strength adaptation because too often physios will typically prescribe, uh, I don't know, three sets of tennis is the one that's talked about a lot. Um, and it's, it's underloaded. It's just horribly underloaded. It's not going to drive any form of strength. It will put some load through the tissue, but not the level that you need it to be. So make sure it's at the correct intensities and that it is when the athlete is ready from an injury point of view and a performance point of view, it's it's overloaded. So that's probably my my key key thing, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, and, and kind of going back to what you're saying before is it, if a physio wants to do an active treatment, like you said, but then making sure it's super specific to the goal of why you're doing each exercise. And that's kind of, I think a big thing, um, even with just general personal trainers or whatever strength and conditioning coaches, if there isn't an exact specific goal of why you're doing each exercise and reasoning behind it, why you're doing the exercise in the first place. Absolutely. Um, so I guess we'll kind of end here on 
do you, what is your, I guess, sort of in this general topic area, what is like your biggest pet, pet peeve misconception that you think people have with this and thing and what you are just trying to harp on all the time that seems to just not get through people's heads? I, I suppose that it comes back to our discussion at the start of like active versus passive is to me, and I'm, I'm quite heavily biased towards the, um, the active side of things, but I just don't see why you would want to, in my eyes, waste time or invest time in doing passive things when instead the athlete could be doing some kind of exercise that pushes them closer towards their short and long-term goals. Um, why get them spending time and money doing um, cupping, needling, hands-on massage, whatever it might be, when instead they could be refining their nutrition or getting or working on better sleep habits and getting better quality of sleep or doing something uh, socially, whether it's with the team, because sometimes athletes feel disconnected from the team when they have an athlete or making sure that they're not getting too down and upset by the injury and, you know, having some respite with their mates or time to themselves or good, you know, mental health practices, whatever it might be. To me, they just provide so much more value and benefit to the athlete um, it, it's definitely a big pet peeve and frustration of mine when an athlete, um, or person sort of comes in, they're like, I want hands on, I need hands on. Um, and I'm like, why, why do you need that? This, this come over to the, the light side of the fence where we can get you doing some exercise or something for yourself, where you're just going to feel so much better for it and be amazed by the outcomes. Mm. Amazing points, amazing points throughout the whole episode. So appreciate you. Thank you very much for being on. If you want to um, give kind of your, uh, I know even Instagram, if there's anything else where people can follow you for information um, and then where they can um, contact you if they want any sort of consultation or strength and conditioning. Yep. The, the easiest way to contact me is probably to reach out either via email or Instagram. But if you just go to my Instagram, which is at Dan Gadisi Physio, um, you'll be able to email me through there, but my email is Dan Gadisi Physio. So that's D-A-N-G-O-D-E-A-S-S-I-P-H-Y-S-I-O-N at gmail.com. Um, just reach out. I'm happy to answer any questions people might have or just spark up a discussion because I love talking about this stuff. Perfect. I'll make sure to put those in the show notes, show notes for you. So but thanks again for being on. Really appreciate it. Great info. Awesome. Thanks, Apes Pat. Thanks for having me on.